Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. Hey, I'm using a new boom with my headset, new Bluetooth uh, thing. Let me know if this is working any better than before. Earlier, some folks said it sounded a bit empty. Let me know if this has some better quality sound for you. We want to make sure to get everything right for you. Michael Rudnan is back in the house. Welcome, my brother. Happy birthday, belatedly. Belated me. The sound sounds awful. Oh, really? What is it? Is it loud? Is it distorted? Let me know what it is so that I can go ahead and modify those changes. What does it sound like? Let me hear it. Let me hear it. Let me hear it. We have other options as well. Uh, sounds like it's not your voice. <laughs> okay, you know what I'm going to do? The good thing about it is we make sure to have our backups all of the time. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to change to the backup. And you tell me, guys, before we get started, which one sounds better? Because we're going to go ahead and silence one and start the other one. Okay, okay, okay. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see how to go about doing this. I think I got it. I think I got it. If I go ahead and do this here and that there now how is that sound is that sound any better than the last one is that sound any better than before folks let me know you get 20 seconds to tell me if the sound is better now okay now e2247 likes the sound avq doesn't like the sound which one is it you guys are going to have a vote right now this is the old way with the audio oh the audio is low now okay too loud and harsh ah i got you so what you're saying is that First one needed to get the gain down some, and what we can actually do is actually say that. I want to make sure before we get started with the program, and it's going to be quick, but I, you know, I can do this online. It's all about how you guys like the sound. Uh, I am going to go and disable, uh, first of all, the first one, the USB one. I'm going to go ahead and increase the gain on that one, and you guys tell me if, it's, if it meets your criteria. Let's see, where is the gain? Where is the gain? All right, here we go. Is that any better? Is that any better at all? Is that any better at all? All right, let's go ahead and change the mic in a certain sort of a way. Is that any better? How does that sound? You guys are the ones. Better but low. What about now? Did, did, did that increase some? Uh, it takes about 20 seconds, I guess, for you guys to actually get to it. Is that sounds any better, any better, any better, any better? You guys are going to tell me, is it any better, any better, any better? It, it'll have to do. All right, let's get busy, folks. Uh, let me get rid of the other microphone for the time being. Let's see. Let's see. Go ahead. All right. Let's get busy. Okay. Okay. It's, I like it now. Okay. Bruce likes it now. So that means it is at the right gain level for you. Okay. Let's get busy. Uh, happy birthday, Mr. Rodnin. Egberto, I turned 47 yesterday. It looks like I missed a two-hour-plus show. No, you didn't. I forgot to turn the recording off. So it's not your fault. It is my fault. Okay, continuing. There's new evidence collected from orbiting satellites that oil and gas companies are routinely venting huge amounts of methane into the air for years. Every time we had data on methane emissions as we were flying uh, over an area, we always found more emissions than we were supposed to see, says uh, Thomas Laveau, a researcher with the Laboratory of Climate and Environmental Sciences. Second item, uh, groups give President Biden 10 executive actions to put people over fossil fuels. Biden should quit peddling to polluters and their congressional cronies, take out his presidential pen and deliver on his climate promises, said Cassie Siegel, director of the Center of Biological Diversity, Climate Solve. Under 
existing law, Biden has powerful tools to stop approving fossil fuel projects, lease and exports to declare the climate emergency. So third item from Rodnin billionaire George Soros pours $125 million into Super PAC. Ahead of midterms, I always thought Soros was a right-wing boogeyman, blown out of proportion and conflated with anti-Semitic tropes. Until this moment, the big money corruption of our politics is all too real and affects both parties. We are not going to solve it by allowing billionaires to pour money into our political system. A push for federally funded elections is the one viable solution. I agree 100%. Reverend Dr. William Barber and the poor people and all of this is from Michael Rudman and the poor people campaign to Senator uh, Senator Joe Manchin. We do not quit until we win. Egberto as usual as long as one that's worth reading out. I've chosen a few snippets from their letter to our congressmen. Our voting rights are under attack because we exercise them to vote for the change in 2020. Too many have put the interests of wealthy corporations over the needs and demands of the people and blocked the build back better agenda including a full child tax credit without work requirements or restrictive means testing across the nation. The failure to extend the child tax credit will be devastating to tens of millions of poor and low-income households in West Virginia. The failure to pass the Build Back Better agenda means that 23,000 children will be pushed below the poverty line. 110,000 workers will not be able to make ends meet and 10,000 jobs will be denied in the state. In addition, 441 1,852 Medicare beneficiaries will not be able to access expanded insurance in West Virginia alone. Among those are retired minors in desperate need, in desperate need of health insurance. We hold the entire Senate responsible for the sin, refusal to act that is producing suffering. The party in power and the senators who could have used the power to do the right thing are especially guilty. I agree. Don't blame Mansion and Cinema. Only you, you created the path for them to do it. That's why we are coming to Washington, D.C. in mass on June 18, 2022 for a mass poor peoples and low wage workers assembly and moral march on Washington and on polls. Not for the day, but for a declaration of an ongoing commitment, moral majority to one, build power two, shift the political narrative and three, make real policies to fully address poverty and low wealth from the bottom up. Senator Manchin, you are willing to meet with corporate executives and and political lobbyists. Meet with us, some of the 340,000 low-wage workers in West Virginia and their families. We are suffering because the Senate could find trillions in less than two years for corporations, but can't protect voting rights. Thank you, ABQ. Damn good one. Hello, relatives from E2247. Today's visit will be the greatest ever. Thank you, my brother. Egberto reminds us daily one way or another. Absolutely sound. Okay, I think I've cleaned up the sound for most of you so far. So let's see how that goes. Eric Hayes says Biden is out of touch. He has to go to New York. And I tell you what, I'm, I'm going to show you how out of touch Biden is, right? Because that is what you guys would like to believe that Biden is out of touch. Biden is not out of touch in the least. In fact, I think uh, Biden B- Biden has been successful for what he needed to do, not what he or what he wanted to do, not necessarily what he needs to do, because I think a lot more needs to get done. But above and beyond that, let's go ahead and play this. I want you guys to hear this and then I'll continue saluting all my great people that are here. But I want you guys, it's important that you guys listen to this right now. America is back to work. Today we learned that in January our economy created 
467,000 jobs. That's not all. We learned that job growth in November and December over last year was revised up by more than 700,000 jobs. On top of that, 400,000 jobs that previously, on top of the 400,000 were previously reported. This morning's report caps off my first year as president. And over that period, our economy created 6.6 million jobs. 6.6 million jobs. You can't remember another year when so many people went to work in this country. There's a reason. It never happened. Take a look at the chart. You can look at the last all the way back to President Reagan. Look how many jobs we've created in an average per month. This is, uh, it's never happened before. And look, history's been made here. But it comes alongside the largest drop in unemployment rate in a single year on record. The largest reduction in childhood poverty ever recorded in a single year. And the strongest economic growth this country has seen in nearly 40 years. Historic economic progress. And I'm proud of the role the administration played in this economic plan has played in the recovery. You know, the rescue plan that Democrats passed to get the economy going again, the bipartisan infrastructure law that's starting to get underway rebuilding bridges, roads, highways, ports, airports, internet. There's so much more that we're doing as well. And my decision at the outset of our administration to buy American. It's always been the law, it was very seldom ever followed. Now it's a reality, not an empty promise. I made clear that when the federal government spends taxpayer dollars, we buy American products. American products made in America, including all the component parts of that product, with very few exceptions. With the support of the American private sector, our business leaders and entrepreneurs, our workers, our union leaders, they've all come together like never before in my days in Washington. I know it hasn't been easy. I know that January was a very hard month for many Americans. I know that after almost two years, the physical and emotional weight of the pandemic has been incredibly difficult to bear for so many people. But here's the good news. We have the tools to save lives and to keep businesses open and keep schools open, keep workers on the job and sustain this historic economic comeback. Even with the extraordinary news, even with the historic economic progress we've made across the past year, we still have a lot of work to do. Making sure every American has a job is a great start, but it's not the finish. For many Americans, wages are up this year. In January, wage increases were strong across the board, and that's good. We have to continue to keep wages growing, unlike anything we've seen in our history. And it didn't happen by chance. As a result of the economic plan I put into action on day one, when I said it's going to be by America, I'm delighted to keep it going and expand what we've done because we have a great opportunity ahead of us to further progress, make progress where we've all, beyond we've already made. Look, the House of Representatives just passed a few minutes ago, just a bit before I walked over here, to provide $90 billion, over $90 billion for research and development, manufacturing, and all those elements of the supply chain needed to produce end products right here in America. So we can keep delivering more announcements like the one we've had in these past few weeks. Another way we're boosting our economy is by promoting competition 
Look, hamburger is, uh, you know, up four times, fourfold almost, many places. Well, guess what? Meat processing, meat processors or shipping, railroads, other industries are dominated by a few giant companies that control the market they operate in. And over the years, this domination of the market by a smaller number of companies, smaller and smaller, it's about four in the meatpacking area, has reduced competition, squeezed out small businesses and farmers. In many cases, increased prices, and almost all increased prices for consumers. Look, I'm a capitalist, but capitalism without competition is not capitalism. It's exploitation. So I'm going to continue to do everything in my power to work with the Congress to make our capitalist system work better, to provide more competition and lower prices for American consumers. We spend a lot of... Okay, here, here is a problem, okay? First of all, if you guys take a look at our chat room, Miss, our brother... Uh, our brother Eric Hayes is uh, melting down because the numbers are out and it turns out that all the things that they thought were failures turned out to be a hell of a lot of successes. The numbers beat not only Reagan, but Clinton and Obama. And it's amazing, right? Because you come in from the depths of, of, of that disaster created by Donald Trump and you have the old man that the Sleepy Joe, that, that they like to call Sleepy Joe come, clean it up. You know, we always have to, you know, uh, Obama had to clean up the mess left by uh, Bush number one. Uh, Clinton up the mess left by um, by Bush number uh, number Bush number one, uh, Obama Bush number two, and then here comes uh, Biden having to clean up the biggest wreck of them all created by yet another Republican, meaning they'll send you out of Trump, right? <laughs> and the numbers are out. And the, the, the Republicans, they don't know what to do because you have to have ideologues that are going to say, oh, my God, even though the numbers are great, wait till November. Let's put those people who screwed everything up back in power again. The, the, the psychology of the failure of ideology is as it's crazy. Now, let me just hit Brother Biden back for something there. Brother Biden just told a bold face piece of, I won't call it a lie because it's not black and white, but here's what he said. He said, I am a capitalist. That's what he said. And I believe him. He's a capitalist. He's a neoliberal. And then he says, and by the way, uh, capitalism doesn't work like that. Capitalism depends on competition. And, uh, you know, so the government is going to do something to make sure there's competition. Biden is wrong. Capitalism is working exactly as it was designed to work right now. And when you go ahead and insert the government to make sure that the evils of capitalism aren't realized, it is no longer capitalism. And that's what nobody wants to say. Yes, I want I want the markets to work in such a manner that I can create a pizza shop, that I can create my own software company, etc., but I want there to be controls to prevent me or anybody else from enslaving anybody else using the financial system to do that. And the only way to do that is for we, the people, the government to get involved. And that isn't capitalism. Capitalism by design. Ask Milton Friedman. You are doing whatever it takes to maximize the income of your shareholders. And that ultimately degrades into monopoly. Because in order to get a bigger market share, you have to kill the enemy. That is capitalism. And, and until we are honest with ourselves, all the destruction created by it 
will continue because we fail to look at things the way they really are. It's that simple. There's no complexity there. All right. So let's go ahead and uh, continue, my dear brothers and sisters. Melanie Keelan, welcome aboard. Peggy Lopez, welcome aboard. Hi, great to see all my peeps. Tom C. Muchísimas gracias por estar aquí. All right. Eric Hay says, we keep seeing this finally. The press doing uh, what they are supposed to do, pushing for real details and transparency. Hey, how comes Biden official won't de- declassify information except, well, we're going to learn about some other things about that. Anyway. Hi all, February 4th, amazing day in history, 1789, first U.S. president elected, 1861, states meet to form the Confederacy, 1913, Rosa Parks was born, bringing us here again, saving democracy. Melanie Keaton, welcome aboard, and happy birthday to Michael from yesterday belated, Rose Williams, hello Rose, how are you doing? Every time I flew from Singapore to Paris over the Middle East, uh, wells, they were burning off methane. The typical efficiency is 98%. So slats of CH4 going up at 28 times CO2. Solution is to leave oil in the ground or bring it up and separate the capture CH4, which is not cost effective today. Exactamente. Bill Biden has not been successful at all, according to Eric Hayes. The crisis business, you keep lie to yourself. You know, I mean, it's called... Willful ignorance, my dear brother Eric Hayes. We present you the data. You decide that the data doesn't fit with the lies that you hear from the right. So you disregard the data and just put your head in the sand. Hey, some people can live that way. When somebody teaches me something and I have to change my mind, I am happy to do so. Bruce Pollard says, I'm back to work. Eric Hayes says, let's see how he does in November. If he loses in November, it is saying that a group of people would rather use their ideology over their own economic stability. Hey, people do that all the time. That's why that's why the book was written, What Whatever Happened to Kansas, right? That book said it all. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Bruce says, Eric, don't blame him totally for Afghanistan. He shouldn't be blamed at all for Afghanistan. Afghanistan was somebody else's disaster. And it was always going to be completed as a disaster. Daniel Ledo says, whoa, the guy who spent 40 years shipping American manufacturing to China now wants to buy America? What a douchebag, he says. Well, you know, all of them, all the neoliberals wanted to do that. So you and I aren't going to fight about that one at all, Daniel Ledo. But, you know, I always believe in atonement. Atonement is good for me. Michael Rodin says monopolization creates price gouging. This happens in the meat processing. It happens in the big pharma, health insurance. It happens everywhere. Yes, that's by design. Capitalism, capitalism, Maywood, welcome aboard. All right, Michael Rudin says, when the government will regulate capitalism to make sure the people and the environment don't get screwed, that is no longer called capitalism. And you're absolutely right. You get social democracy, 100%. Sir, thank you so kindly. I wanted to say that, but I would prefer my audience to say that. So Rudin, perfect. Alistair Waters, how are you doing, my dear sister? My life has improved since President Biden has been in office. Of course, Carl Cox says, Carl Cox is here. Welcome, my brother, Carl. Great to see you here. Uh, Michael Rodin says, artificial inflation is what happens when corporations pretend there is inflation and raise price. And that has happened with oil all along. There's always been an oil cartel. There, the, the oil, we never had a shortage of oil. We've never had a shortage of food. All these things are manufactured in order to increase prices. Eric Hayes says, I have my own opinion and will do as I do. Of course you will. I can't stop you from doing something silly. Of course not. It's, it, that's what freedom gives. Freedom gives us the ability to be wrong. You're wrong, but it gives you the ability to do so. All right. 
Uh, Alistair says, thank you, uh, or rather, amen, Michael Rodman. Well, look, I had a, a wonderful interview today with um, Katrina uh, uh, Van Hoevel. She is the one who, she's the editor and publisher and owner of The Nation magazine. I think you guys all know her. I think you're going to love this interview that I did with her. So let's go ahead and uh, do that, and then we'll take it on the other side. Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. I'm Egberto Willis, your host. Today, we are honored to have Katrina Vanden Heuvel with us today. She is a, an American editor and publisher. She is the publisher, part owner, and former editor of Progressive, the progressive magazine, The Nation. She is often a commentator on political televisions, including ABC, CBS, NBC, and all the major networks. Vanden Heuvel is a member of the Council of Foreign Relations, a U.S. nonprofit think tank. She is a recipient of the Norman Mailer Prize. Vanden Heuvel graduated from the Trinity University in 1977. She graduated summa cum laude with an A.B. in politics from Princeton University. Ms. Van Heuvel, thank you so kindly for having been or for being here in politics. And right. How are you doing today? I'm okay. Please call me Katrina. All right. No problem. <laughs> no problem, Katrina. <laughs> Anyhow, look, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you today is uh, your expertise on what's going on in um, Ukraine right now and, and NATO and the United States. Why don't you first give our audience a rundown of Ukraine from its, from its recent nascent existence? So thank you and uh, honored to join you. I'm not an expert. I'm someone who's travel to Russia, really Moscow, for 40 years and have covered the country. And certainly I've, I've covered the crisis, not just in the last months, but over the last decade or more, really since the end of the Soviet Union, 20 years. So Ukraine. Ukraine uh, is a, a very large republic adjoining Russia. The crisis right now is that Ukraine... We're witnessing a civil war that has become a proxy war that has become a ge geopolitical struggle. Uh, Ukraine is an independent country. It's deeply divided between East and West. Kiev, they speak Ukrainian. In the East of Ukraine, it's Russian speaking. These are important issues in terms of protection of rights and language. The, um, the grave sin here, if, <clears throat> if I might say, was NATO expansion, which your listeners may know some about, but just briefly at the end of this, when the Soviet Union ended, the Warsaw Pact, which was the counter to NATO, collapsed as it did the Soviet Union. So the question was, why was NATO needed? NATO had been designed to keep Russia out. It was a military structure. It's no coffee clutch. In 1990 in Berlin, uh, when Germany reunified, these were all dramatic events. Gorbachev, then Soviet leader, really a democratizer whose democracy attempts have been squandered, was promised by George H.W. Bush and James Baker that NATO would not, quote, move one inch eastward. This is, was a broken promise. There was no agreement. It was verbal but it has tainted and poisoned relations ever since. Um, so NATO not only expanded eastward, but it has expanded to the borders of Russia. The epicenter of the Cold War, the old Cold War, was Germany. 13 countries joined before 2008, and then now you have 30 plus. And the real mm -hmm. crunch came and I'll, in 2008 when George W., 
uh, at a NATO meeting, fast-tracked Ukraine and Georgia membership. You know, it's not... (laughs) There's a delusional quality to our discussions right now because... For you, there's a deep asymmetry as well. For Russia, Ukraine is a vital interest. You can say national security, but it's also human. Many Russians are intermarried, their ties. There's no vital interest in this country in Ukraine. Some people may say that's blasphemy, but it's a realist position. And no American president is going to send American men and women. They are sending weapons, this are you. But it's um, even according to NATO's own charter, Ukraine could not join at this moment because of the territorial integrity issues. So there's, you know, it's really so 2013, 14, there was essentially a coup in Ukraine. There were attempts to uh, have an election uh, with the former president as part of it, but that fell apart. He fled. A new leader came to power, a chocolate oligarch, (laughs) um, and who was very corrupt. And Mm -hmm. um, he was ousted in an election. And the new president is someone who played a president on TV. On TV, yeah. He's a humorist. He's a comedian. And he's well-meaning, but the forces in Ukraine that are seeking to undermine uh, diplomatic resolution are fierce. And I think we often forget that in both countries, Ukraine and Russia, you have forces that are not just, you know, Putin, Putin, Putin. He has his own blob, his own establishment and his own military hardline forces. And those in eastern Ukraine, separatists who are seeking a different resolution, aren't that happy about diplomacy, would rather So there's a lot going on. I will conclude right now and say the most dangerous thing in my mind. And I do think we're at a moment and, you know, again, your listeners, viewers, how resonant this is a moment of U.S.-Russian confrontation that is is as dangerous as the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962. Nuclear armed powers. The most dangerous thing, it seems to me, is not that we're sending troops to the East European countries. As you know, 3,000 troops have been sent. They're more on alert. It's the weapons and the special advisors going into Ukraine. The weapons since 2014, about $3 billion. And we don't know how many special advisors there are. The danger there, of course, is, you know, a tripwire, an accident, a stumble, a U.S. special ops force on the front lines shot. I mean, these are issues that could trigger. So I don't see this as a, that parallel to World War II and all the talk of Munich and appeasement. It's more like World War I, where we could be stumbling into a bloody trench, person-to-person kind of 19th century battle. Very dangerous. You know, it, it is sad, Katrina, because one of the things that, that, that really upsets me a lot is you come on, you did it both with The Nations uh, magazine and many others do it with other, other rags out there, is that they really try to educate the American populace as to what's going on so that they can make an educated decision. One of the things that I really uh, find intriguing is that we just got out of Afghanistan. And in going out of Afghanistan, we left the defense industrial complex uh, needing, they, they needed places to, to arm 
harm. And in keeping an, an, an intelligent American population, and you create a, a, a an issue that we don't understand, what, what uh, Bush did with uh, Russia, etc., it gives the impetus to provide more weaponry and more business mm-hmm. to these guys. I want you to tell me what do you see as the relation between the uneducated American uh, by design, as well as a military industrial complex using that to push politicians to work against our own interest? Very, very, very good question. Um, so to step back a year or so, I think every few years the United States issues a strategic national security strategy document, five-year planning. And it was interesting, this past document, that counterinsurgency, as it's called, was downgraded. And the new threats are Russia and China. <laughs> and they're called it, the new threats. Now, you, if you take it to your good question, the weapons companies, this is crass, but real, don't make that much money in counterinsurgency. The big weapon systems, big ones, are in the old forms of Cold War, China, Russia. In fact, there was a, a good report about a week ago. Someone got on a call. These these are big companies, the big four military industrial complexes. And it was a call with shareholders. And they were boasting of how much they were making in these times, how good it was for them. Uh, I don't think you can strip away those profits and what that means. NATO, by the way, is also uh, very involved, invested in the military industrial complex. Part of membership in NATO is that you're, you buy primarily from U.S., maybe French, other companies, and that your equipment be compatible, interoperability. Um, so, but here's my thinking about people. I think there's a tendency in a lot of our politics around foreign policy to blame the people. You know, like the people demand we do this. I think there's a lot going on in Washington in the blob and the establishment that has its own rhyme and rhythm. It's in its own world. I think Americans, and I don't want to speak for all Americans, but you could see in the you see in some of the surveys, people don't want endless war. I mean, there was an anger how we got out of Afghanistan, not not that we did get out. Mm-hmm. It's a different issue, I mean, but um, but it is insane, it seems to me. I do think people want an end to endless wars, multiple deployments. Who's fighting? You know, I mean, it's a, it's class, it's race. It brings, and then the, the ultimate to me is, um, think of all the crises we have to face from from pandemics. I just read like we're running out of, you know, equipment. Globally, there's an apartheid of vaccination. We have an existential climate crisis. We have staggering inequality at home and globally and racial justice, injustice. So many issues that demand resources. So we've just come out of an insurgency, 20 years, the longest running war, except for maybe for Korea. And you know how much we, you know, cost of war project at Brown University estimated, and they're very good, 5.6 trillion. Think of that. And today, the humanitarian catastrophe in Afghanistan is horrific and demands 5 billion. But the international community, such as it is, can't find that money. So I think, you know, if we're going to go to war, which we shouldn't, I've said this, we should have an escrow account designated for the costs of war. If we, you know, the people should not at this stage, those who are suffering in Afghanistan because of all the battles. And so uh, 
we are we really going into another insurgency in a country which, you know, it's it's just um, I don't know where the wisdom is. I do know that there is a diplomatic path uh, on offer that if there was a will and there's a way you can find a kind of at a minimum work toward a solution, which is the best we can do. Well, you know, Katarina, I think what the, the work that you do and the work that a lot, lot of us are trying to do right now in 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 in, in getting the people to pressure their politicians, otherwise, yes. it's the only option that we have right now and the only option that can actually bear results because the the opponent, the war industrial complex, the defense industrial oh, complex, here. they are powerful. And on right here in, on K Street, we know what it's like. Now, I, I, you brought up something that that's going to force me to segue into a quick issue. I don't want to take too much of your time, but I really want to get your opinions on this. Um, you, you started to speak about the vaccine and the apartheid and vaccine, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, I don't only look at it as the apartheid and vaccine. I look at it as in, in, the, in, in that the, the crisis that we have between the haves and the have-nots so huge. And anytime we try to assist, there's a problem. Build back better. Something that is marginally small compared to what we put out in so many places is problematic. How, first of all, what, what's your thoughts on Build Back Better and its composites? And also, what are your thoughts on how the hell do we get out of this dilemma? Well, small question. What, <laughs> um, but it's it, critical. Um, you're right that what should be is a massive public investment program. And what we've gotten, you know, there was first the, the American Infra- Infrastructure Plan did cut poverty 40%, but the fact that it doesn't continue is a travesty. And then you had the basic infrastructure plan. So you had the relief plan 1.9 and the infrastructure. But Build Back Better had some very good programs, but as we know, you got two people who are holding up due to the undemocratic nature of the Senate. And without those margins, this thing has been held up. I think Manchin said the other day it's dead. There's going to be a move, as I follow it, to pass in different pieces. So mm-hmm. it's not one bill. I had a problem with, you know, there was a hope that the bill would be covered, the Build Back Better, as a bill to improve the condition of people's lives. Instead, every day, as you know, in the media, it was sausage. It was, you know, how much did it cost? How much did it cost? And people got freaked out, I think, by that and not learning what was in it that would improve the condition of their lives. Our system, what scares me is we have a structural block. We have a minoritarian power center, undemocratic, uh, racist for the most part, and uh they have a hold of institutions that will assure their power for a long period of time. And I think how we take on the institutions is a very difficult job, but it's imperative because the Senate's not democratic. Look at the courts, the Supreme Court in some, you know, it's just such a block. And now we're going to have this battle. And then you have the state houses gerrymandering. So these are all, demand what you said, people power, but also allied with those inside who can fight the fight. Uh, I do think the movements have been strong. I believe in social movements making change. We talk about speaking truth to power. 
I'm struck by this, though, because I wrote a little bit about Afghanistan based on the Afghan papers, which were open documents showing the generals knew it wasn't working. It was like, you know, Vietnam. So, in fact, in speaking truth to power, often those in power know the truth, but they don't want to show it because they show their weakness. And I think we can approach movement organizing in a way that there are weaknesses and there are inflection points and edges we can take on. Now, your magazine has been instrumental in the progressive movement, uh, or no other. Well, there, there are many out there as well, yeah. but yours have been instrumental. Um, but one of the issues that we have is that we don't get enough coverage of the issues in the detail that you that you've just spoken about. I mean, you you're every now and then they want to get a little snippet. They throw you on MSNBC or NBC or one of the networks and you get to say your piece. And we have the right and the neoliberals talking both against you. I mean, it's like your left is your left flank is not with you and your right flank is not with you. I've spoken about having to really establish a strong independent network that is not affiliated at all with any of the corporatocracy. Um, uh, how can we achieve that goal, in your opinion, given your expertise with having been with The Nation magazine and others? Well, I think it's already happening in the sense that younger audiences, and I don't mean to be ageist, are not watching some of the corporate media. They're making their own media. Some of it is of quality. Some of it is not. But the technology, not to fetishize the technology, but does allow more independence. And whether it's podcasts, I believe in radio, uh, streaming, there, there's an ability to hear more voices. And I think people, many people are sick of the kind of suffocating consensus. You're so right. When I was doing more corporate media, they cast you. They wanted you to be the liberal Democrat. And by the way, that was the the kind of range of mm -hmm. view. So they immediately limit the parameter of views. And then there was Russiagate, which, you know, you can have different points of view on, but I think it squandered five years of our, you know, how, how much was not discussed and all the attention to it. And I was doing a uh, radio show and I think, you know, they wanted a liberal and I sounded not in terms of my views about cooperation with mm -hmm. Russia, but in terms of the situation with Russiagate. So, but, you know, and then it's 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 not healthy in terms of the parameters of the possible. And I think um, I do think there's more opportunity. Uh, it's still not what it should be. These are the people's airwaves. Uh, but they are the news. We are first our first and only centerfold at the nation it was like a glossy centerfold it was four octopi, uh, you know, and mm -hmm. it showed, like the news was a tiny cog in a corporate entity. Mm -hmm. You know, that plays a role because these corporations have to go get licensed in D.C. It's not, you know, there are a whole set of factors. But um, I, I think there's more opportunity than now, 20 years ago. I end every single one of my interviews with the same question, and that is, what would you have liked me to ask you that I didn't? I love this conversation. I'm so used to four second conversations. Um, <laughs> you know, this is a, what, what could have been. I believe in alternatives in life, love, politics. Instead of NATO, there could have been a demilitarized architecture of work and politics in Europe. But instead, we've militarized so much that I find that debilitates and depletes the mind. 
So peace and security and restraint and engagement and less military, you know, let's start to demilitarize because it's not, it's not assisting anyone. Katrina van den Heuvel, thank you so kindly for having been on Politics Done Right. I am sure that my audience would be more knowledgeable for it. Thank you so kindly. Very grateful. Thank you. That was very... Well, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. That is uh, van den Heuvel. She's uh, the, the editor, the publisher and the owner, actually, of The Nation magazine. I think you guys know about that. Uh, that magazine is one of the most popular progressive magazines on the racks today. All right, Daniela Ledo says, she just admitted MSM is leftist. Expect Egberto to ignore that ill fact. No, she said that the MSM wanted her point of view, which was liberal, to combat the other point of view. It's, it's, I mean, you watch it every Sunday. You watch this week and you have... Uh, uh, Mr. Mr. Uh, the guy from New Jersey on the right, and then you get the other folks on the left, uh, Chris Christie on the right, and I mean they do it all the time. But the problem is that she wasn't when she came out and said, you know what, uh, we made a promise to Russia that we weren't moving eastward, but instead of keeping NATO at eight or ten countries as it was, we went ahead and admitted thirty countries into NATO. If, if that happened to us here in the United States, would we allow Russia to open bases in Canada, Mexico, and uh, Cuba, and all these other places? I don't think so. And, you know, I had to, you know uh, I'm going to have on Monday Norman Solomon, who is going to actually talk about the deal that, uh, that was made between Bush, Baker, and the then Russian leader. So, I mean, there's a lot to talk about here. Anyhow, I want to remind you guys of something. We were talking about the media and what the media does, etc., etc., etc. All right, let me back up a second because Daniel Ledo has a whole paragraph here. And since I always read the paragraphs from my good lefty, Michael Rudnan, I figure let me do the same for Daniel Ledo. It says, let me give you some insight into the mind of the radical we know as Egberto Willis. Yesterday, I asked him to detail the best interests of someone like myself. As we all know, Egberto is constantly telling us all what are the best interests of various ethnic, economic, and cultural groups. I don't know that that is true, but let's, let's, let's postulate to that for now. Often decrying the groups themselves because they don't vote in support of the best interests that Egberto has deemed they should hold. Upon listening a few broad strokes as to what my best interests are, I promptly advised him he was completely wrong in his assumption as to my best interests and that I actually hold a different view on my best interests. Now Egberto promotes himself as the expert on talking to your right-wing friends and relatives in civil per persuasive way, even writing a book. So you can imagine my shock when this self-proclaimed expert on civil discourse responded to my refutation by telling me, I don't know what I, my interests are. Whoa, beyond totally insulting, one has to wonder if Egberto was trying to gaslight or he actually believes he knows what the best interests are better than me. No, but I, but I do think that you have a point in that, that comeback on me, Daniel Lado. Uh, because in the heat of the moment when you said, I know what's best for me, and I, when I came back to you and I just slammed you and said, no, you don't, etc., etc., you're actually right about that. 
Because if I sat down with you in a Starbucks and spoke about it, that would have never, it's that I'm here talking like this, that I said that. So you're calling me out on that particular issue. And I have to give you kudos about that. You're right. If you and I were sitting down in a Starbucks and like the, like the different examples I've given in my book, I would have been in the frame of mind not to make that mistake that I made speaking to you by, by ex- expressing what I said the way I said it to you. So on this regard, Mr. Lado, kudos to you. All right. Uh, let's see. AVQ says MSM is corporatist and they play the American left against the American right. Exactly. The actual left perspective, which is to prioritize the needs of the people and the planet above corporate profiteering, is rarely offered a properly defended a defense. You are absolutely right about that, Senor Rotnin. All right, I have one other thing to show you because I was we were talking about the media earlier, right? I want to show you a pushback on the media. And I love uh, <laughs> Stephanie Rule. I think Stephanie Rule is a, is a good woman. And not only that, she generally gets things right. But I want to show you, uh, I want to make sure that I play the right one here. Um, I think this is the one here. Let's, let's see. All right. It turns out that, you know, um, Stephanie Rule has a problem. She said, why is it that the message about how successful Biden was with getting all his, his uh, justices approved, isn't it, why is it nobody's talking about it? And check out this exchange. I think it was a wonderful exchange. Biden is getting a lot more done on the bench front than people realize. You know, Republicans get credit for the Federalist Society, all those judges Trump appointed. However, Biden got more federal judges confirmed in 2021 than any first year president since Reagan. 40 in his first year. Trump got 23. Why isn't this getting more attention? It's a very big deal. I could turn the question back on you, Stephanie. Why isn't the media reporting this? Because this is the true success of Biden's domestic agenda. And it's not simply that he has been absolutely assiduous in getting his nominees through. The nominees look very different from what we've seen for a long time. Historically, nominees to the federal courts have been drawn from the ranks of prosecutors, big firm lawyers. He's completely turned this around. Not only is there demographic diversity, there's diversity in the kind of professional experience that these nominees have. Public defenders, labor side lawyers. I mean, it's the array is absolutely staggering. And again, it looks more like the legal profession than perhaps it ever has. Amen to that. We do need to talk about it more. During the last administration, we talked right here about all those judges Trump was putting on the bench, white male under the age of 40, men with very little credibility. Some were ghost hunters. And we should remind our audience, 40 confirmed in Biden's first year, many of whom are true representation of our legal force in this country. We spend a lot. Exactly. Exactly. And, I, 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 you know, Stephanie Rule took it in stride. It's like, yeah, you got me there. If American doesn't know about all these things that Biden is doing, maybe, just maybe, it is, in fact, the fault of the media not giving or telling Americans the story. So, I, 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 But I thought that was just an example of how the media functions, right? Let's see. Eric Hayes says, what is, is, what is he doing <clears throat> Put in more judges that would hold the criminals responsible. Bonding. Oh, Lord. <laughs> okay, Eric. I, I'm going to have to ask you a couple of questions off air because I, the question I really want to ask you, I can't ask you on, here, on air. Anyhow, I have another one that I want you guys to 
check out. And this this, this particular one has to do uh, with our good old governor here in Texas. As you know, our Texas grid is a Texas grid. We don't want to hook up with anybody else because we are Texas. But the reality is uh, what we've done is we decided not to put a grid, connect our entire grid, because by us controlling it, we don't have to follow federal regulations. And not only don't we have to follow federal regulations, we allow the companies, the corporations to pay for the American people. Remember that big freeze that we had here in Texas? Well, you know who paid for it? Not the companies that overcharge us the electricity to get us the power, but the, the people are going to have to pay the difference in these guys whenever they decide to weatherize or whatever they decide to do. Ultimately, the cost is going to be borne by us, not the shareholders, not by anything else. But, you know, uh, El Senor Abbott guaranteed that there was going to be no power shortages or that there won't be power failures. Of course, we had a few, but it wasn't anything like the, the deep freeze that we had a few ago. But check this, this piece out. I think it is well worth watch. Listen, very confident about the grid, and I can tell you why, and that is, for one, uh, I signed uh, almost a dozen laws uh, that make the power grid more effective. I can guarantee the lights will stay on. We have uh, a, a very substantial winter storm uh, coming into Texas over the next few days that will uh, be in the state of Texas uh, for the remainder of the week. No one can guarantee that there won't be a, quote, uh, load shed event. The last thing before we go tonight, Texas is about to face the first major test of its power grid since last year's devastating winter storm. An ice storm already beginning to impact parts of Texas tonight and continuing into tomorrow. In fact, much of the state is under either a winter storm warning or an ice storm warning right now. Up to half an inch of ice is expected in some areas. And that's fueling fears of a repeat of last year's disaster when the state's power grid went down and 11 million people lost power. Some Texans were left without heat or water for weeks, and at least 246 people died. As you just saw, a few months back, Texas Governor Greg Abbott did guarantee the power grid would be able to handle winter conditions this year before rescinding that guarantee just yesterday. Well, the folks at the Lincoln Project noticed as well, and tonight is out with this warning that Governor Abbott's promise to keep the heat on for the people of Texas just might not be his top priority. The governor's first duty is to protect citizens. Greg Abbott has failed. Last year, the Texas power grid crashed. Texans died in the cold and dark. Greg Abbott promised he'd do better, promised he'd do what it took to make Texans ready for another winter storm. I can guarantee the lives will stay on. He promised he'd do his job. What did Abbott do? Did he ask them to harden the power grid? How about adding additional capacity? Nope. What did he do? What he always does. He asked them to write big campaign checks. The big power and energy companies have given Greg Abbott millions in campaign cash. Meanwhile, they were handed billions without truly investing in our power grid. Greg Abbott has been running for office for three decades. He's not going to change. To protect Texas, we need to change governors. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising. We spend a lot of... Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So it turns out that... Oh, well, actually, Mr. Eric Hayes, the grid did fail. We had some failures in Austin, in Austin area. 
and many other places. It's February, a freeze is coming. Will the Texas grid fail again? It's the story that that, that uh, Michael Rodnin just put out there. And the fact of the matter is pieces of it are failing and it will continue to fail because we have made no substantial changes. And any investment in the grid, uh, irrespective of the massive profits made by a few, will be placed on the back on the backs of the average american citizen again i forgot to do my ass so here it's the info on that i always do on my book here we go i'm Egberto willis as host of politics done right a progressive radio media show on pacifica networks kpft 90.1 fm houston that engages all ideologies i found that our political angst isn't mostly ideological there is a well-designed effort by many in power to control us. If we are at each other's throats, we are less likely to demand our economic and local wishes. In that light, I wrote three books. I wrote the first one titled, As I See It, Class Warfare, The Only Resort to Right-Wing Doom to Describe the Entire Economy in a Manner We Can All Understand. It highlights why it was designed to pill for most as it empowers a few, the chosen. The second book, titled It's Worth It, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors, Take It to the Next Level. After understanding how the system pilfers, it is incumbent that we can speak to our peers to empower a change. The third book, How to Make America Utopia, Take Away the Economy from Those Who Rigged It, gives us a place to land. After learning about our economy that is dysfunctional for most and learning how to engage the other side, we point out what would make an economy that works for all. Each book stands on its own, but together they provide the full picture. Please consider getting one or more. You will undoubtedly learn, be entertained, and help us continue the mission with our blogs, articles, videos, and books. Absolutely so, folks. Look, uh, hey guys, uh, please, if you are on YouTube, consider hitting that join button. Become a part of our PDR Posse. We do need your support. Likewise, uh, we'd love for you to... Uh, support us on uh, uh, this this link, YouTube. Hey, Nanette Birdsmith, thank you for saying. Team Ashley Strong. Thank you, my dear, beautiful Nanette. All right, please, folks, consider going to, and let me go ahead and get these links because you know me, never never prepared, never prepared for these links. Anyhow, uh, please go to politicsandright.com slash YouTube, politicsandright.com slash YouTube to become a partner on YouTube. Please go to politicsandright.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N is the way it's spelled, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon. Uh, alternatively, support us at pay- PayPal, politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal, politicsdoneright.com slash PayPal. And of course, you can shop at our store, t-shirts, hoodies, all that good stuff, politicsdoneright.com slash store. We have some new stuff in our store, so click that store button and check it out to see what you can get. And again, all uh, you get our books. Uh, how do you get our books? Politicsandright.com slash books. Politicsandright.com slash books. And of course, if you don't have all those links or just, just too many darn links, we have all the different ways in which you can support us at politicsandright.com slash support. Politicsandright.com slash support. Folks, I know you have, you could be anywhere, but you're here with me. I want to thank you so kindly for being here. I simply and could not possibly do this without supporting. Uh, make sure that we can keep this thing on air indefinitely. We need to change our country. Ultimately, must change our day. I have seven year old.
forgot to call you out. I'm going through real quickly to see if there's anybody that I that I missed calling out. Uh, just put your All right. I had to call out my brother from Panama. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Carl Cox, I think I called you out as well. Uh, who else is here? Daniel Ledo, I think I called you out. Uh, let's see what else we got here. What else we got here before we go? Tom C. Egberto is still tomorrow. Ask if... Oh, yes, tomorrow is Ask Egberto anything. And I forgot to uh, advertise and talk about it today. That There's just so much happening Every first, every first Saturday of the month is Ask Egberto Anything. So please, folks, um, I, I tell you what, um, as we speak here, actually, it's, it is in the newsletter. So please check it out. Uh, Ask Egberto Anything. I will have it in the, uh, on Facebook uh, uh, today where the link is, etc., to access Ask Egberto Anything so that we can have our, our monthly chat we'll have our monthly chat. Anyway, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right, and you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.